the Merry Menopause Book Club, the podcast that brings you the authors of the books written to inspire us, educate us and guide us on our journey through midlife. Created and hosted by me, Jo Fuller, menopause and menstruation educator and founder of the Merry Menopause. I want to give women the information and education they need to make empowered choices around their health and well-being so that ultimately they can have a merry menopause. Welcome to this episode of the Merry Menopause Book Club podcast. Um, Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Anise Mukherjee, who has written The Complete Guide to the Menopause. Dr. Mukherjee is a hospital physician and endocrinologist with a medical career spanning nearly 30 years. She specialises in general medicine and endocrinology with a career belong interest in complex medical illness quality of life in endocrine disease, hormone problems in cancer survivors, including early menopause and other complex menopause issues, as well as managing chronic fatigue. She has supported thousands of women going through menopause to help them manage symptoms and improve their quality of life and overall health safety. So I just wanted to add on to that, that um, this is the only evidence-based book on the market by UK hormone experts. Uh, And this book, as I said, brings together nearly 30 years of clinical experience. But I think the key to this book, I think the one thing about this book that stands out is that that the author has been through the menopause at just 41 following her breast cancer diagnosis. So Dr. Anise is able to write both professionally as a doctor and empathetically for the reader. And that for me really, really shone through as I read this book. And I I didn't read those the notes from the publisher until I had finished the book. And all the way through, I was thinking, why is this different? Why is this book different from all the others? Yes, she covers some really groundbreaking ideas and theories, but there's something different. And then we get to the chapter at the end of the book, which is your journey, Dr. Anise, um, your own personal journey. And that's the emotion threaded through this book. So if we could start, if you don't mind, talking about your, your personal journey as surviving breast cancer, being a patient and a physician. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for the introduction. It was a very, very nice introduction. And um, so we're starting in, in a way at the end of the book. But yeah, I think my journey certainly adds to my clinical experience. I think it's the two together. I went, I, I have huge experience in managing women going through menopause, younger women, women going through a difficult menopause at a normal age, all, to be honest, I've, I've seen over the last nearly 30 years, pretty much every clinical scenario. And then, yeah, about a decade ago, I went through the experience myself. And what was amazing for me was that my experience and my knowledge of, of seeing women go through menopause and helping women through my experience made the experience easier for me. It made it so much more manageable for me. And for the last decade, I've thought, 
when I've seen women going through such great difficulty, you shouldn't have to go through this. We should be able to prevent this by information and knowledge and helping you, ideally helping women before they hit symptoms with many small tweaks that you can make in your life. It's a busy time of life. I talk in the book elsewhere about why menopause is different today for women. We can't just ask our mums and say, tell me what you did, because the world is so different. So anyway, to go back to my journey of of my own diagnosis, I've I've digressed a bit. Um, So I just found a lump one day. And because I was a doctor, I thought, it's going to be, it's not going to be anything. I'm really healthy. I've no family history of breast cancer. It's not going to be anything, but I'm going to get it checked out. And I was seen very, very quickly at the hospital I worked at uh, through the urgent breast referral unit. And the the surgeon said, I'm 99% sure that this is going to be nothing. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be anything. And lo and behold, within 24 hours, I was told, not only did I have breast cancer, but I had two. <laughs> I had two of them. And one was one was sort of silent, but then picked up by accident. So it was, it was, that was a, a very challenging and, and difficult time. And anyone who's been through breast cancer, a breast cancer diagnosis, will know that that early stage of your diagnosis is frightening. And it was frightening for me as as even as a doctor, that was very scary. But What happens over the following days and weeks is you get more and more information about what type of cancer and what your treatment is going to be. And again, with that journey, information is power. And the more you get to know what you're dealing with, the more you feel in control. And so I went through that and I was incredibly lucky because I had picked it up very early Um, But I was very young. I was full of estrogen. The cancers were producing estrogen because there was two. It made my surgery more difficult and complex. And which is why then um, we discussed treatments and they I was actually told I didn't need chemotherapy. And I I, I thought, no, 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 I I want chemotherapy. I'm young. Give me the most aggressive treatment. I've got I had two very young children, both in primary school at the time. And I I, I just said, give me whatever it takes. I want to live for my kids. I want to live a very long time. I don't want to take any risks. So they said, no, you can't have chemo. And I said, but what can I have then that's going to really, you know, starve any remaining cancer cells of of estrogen and so we came up with the with the treatment to give me a a chemical menopause which is injections to induce a menopause unfortunately actually they I, I had those for a few years and then we stopped them because every all the signs were that I'd gone through menopause by then and my periods never came back so that was it it was quite long winded that story but that's basically how how my my own experience happened and and both I mean my medical knowledge in terms of coping with the breast cancer diagnosis that was it really I was very very lucky with that but then going through menopause symptoms which I talk about in my breast cancer chapter in my book um it, it just at every step that that was probably the easiest bit for me because you know, I knew it. I'd been there with so many of my patients and I related to all the symptoms and I knew, but I was ahead of the game all the way through with the symptoms and knowing what to do best and, and how, how to use lifestyle tweaks and hacks to, to just help myself. I wish I could just give that to every single woman. And that was essentially why I wanted to write the book. Um, and I've thought about it for a very long time and I've 
got a very busy clinical practice so I don't I didn't have a lot of time to do that and then just it was a perfect situation it was just serendipitous that I got approached by Penguin and they said we'd really like you to write a book about the menopause and I thought this is it I can't say no to that (laughs) I mean if that isn't a sign that you need to put your knowledge and your story out there to help other women I don't you know I don't know what is um, and it's, you know, thank you for doing so. Thank you for doing so. Because as a, as a guide, as a beginner's guide to the menopause, or even for somebody like myself, who's very much involved in this, this world and what's going on, I learned something. I learned a lot of stuff, actually, and some and some tools that I have started using, um, especially around the, the mindset, which we will which we'll come on to. So many questions. And, and when you were talking there about um, the stuff that you implemented, I mean, you call it your toolkit. And you talk about what I really love, the analogy, the house of menopause, which I, I thought was a great way um, of, 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 um, of explaining about how you need to look after yourself. Um, I don't know if you want to explain that analogy to, to the listener. Elise. Yeah, yeah. So um, actually one of my, my uh, consultant colleagues who I work with uh, nationally um, said to me, how did you come up with this house of menopause? And it's, it's truly authentic. I mean, it's just because, as I've, I've told you before, I, I, this book is just written straight from my heart and my head. <laughs> it's, 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 I didn't really do research to see what other people have, have, have written about menopause. I just wrote it. I wrote what I know. So with the house of menopause, it's I love using metaphors and analogies with my patients in my clinics. And over the years, I've used lots and lots of different ways of trying to explain to people how they can help themselves. And the house of menopause is a a sort of metaphor that I I just came up with quite a few years ago, really. And it's about it's 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 an analogy of heat being your well-being and heat in a house. So I say, imagine your well-being and your energy and your mojo as being like a house in winter with all the windows open, but you put the heating on. So you're trying everything you can. You, you put the heating on, but the heating's the heat's escaping. Your energy's escaping because there's things that are happening that are depleting your energy. So it's kind of, it, it's just a metaphor that I've, I've, I've used. And whenever I've used it in my clinics, people, it's clicked. People have gone, oh, I get that. Whereas if I try and say, you need to do this and you need to do this. And if you do these lots of little things, it makes a huge difference. But if you think of it in your house, if you've got loads of windows open and you're trying, you don't know what to do to, to get the house warm, you've got the heating on, but it's not getting warm. You have to go and close windows in that house. But when you close that first window, the house doesn't get warm because there's so many other windows. And when you're in menopause or perimenopause and you've got a busy life, you've got sleep problems, you've got anxiety and stress, you've got, you might not be eating healthy, you might be craving sugar because of the stress, you know, you might not be eating as well. There's loads of different things that will be factoring into your loss of well-being if you've had loss of well-being. And you need to address all of them and if you just address one thing, like if you try and sort your sleep out and do nothing else, you, you might not feel better. And the problem that people do, and this is a really instinctive thing, is they try something like, for example, an exercise program to lose weight. And they say, I've done everything. I've done loads of exercise yeah. and it didn't work. So they give up. They just go, that didn't work. So I'm not bothering. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to focus on 
restricting my my diet and not eating properly, which is going to make things worse because you're going to be deficient in your micronutrients. So they go from one thing to another rather than trying to do little tweaks in several different areas. It's holistic, holistic, isn't it? It it has to be because that's how that's what works. Yeah. And and also, um, Joe, the, the, the thing is, I talk about, you know, closing the windows if the house is freezing cold. But if you're a younger woman and you're not fearing menopause, you think, right, I'm going to take control before I get symptoms. You can close those windows in the summer or the autumn, gradually ready for preparing yourself for, for, for any any extra help that you need as the, as, as the menopause hormone fluctuations start. So I think that's where we're very much aligned, isn't it, Anise, is that, you know, for, for me, my work as the merry menopause is all about how you have a merry menopause. It's about how you get there. It's not so that for our generation, you know, women like ourselves in our early 50s, we were not educated on this. Our mothers didn't talk about it. And it does hit you like a bust. So it's about trying to get the women of my age to make the changes that they need many of them are very stuck in their ways but it's also about reaching this younger generation of women and saying you know there's a lot of talk about the menopause you might find a lot of it frightening there's a lot of negativity but let's put the the things in place these simple lifestyle changes that you need to start working on so you can have a merry menopause you know you can have a, a, a good end of life really is what we're talking about 100% you can and you should and the narrative that that is being written that says menopause is bad needs to be ditched we we need we we need the PR (laughs) to say look actually it's great and and I say in my book and and I tell people that my um my experience actually in the last 10 years being in in menopause because I've actually always then said I do need to do my exercise and I do need to eat healthily and I just I just need to kind of just keep an eye on these things I'm not selfish I've still got a family a lot of people know at the moment my, my poor mother has just fallen so I'm looking after her at the moment but um you know if you just look after yourself and you apply a bit of self-care which by the way women tend not to do in general but just a little bit that's not being selfish it's not like a younger person just saying I don't care about anyone else this is about you looking after yourself so that you can maintain all the roles that you want to do whether they be you know just to do with your family or to do with family and work or all the different commitments that we have so yeah I I I, if, if you can improve your well or maintain your well-being and sort of insulate your energy so that going back to the house of of menopause metaphor you won't it won't hit you like a tin of bricks because if you are feeling awful it takes so much more effort to get back on track whereas if you if you prevent that it you know it it does it changes the narrative and it can be brilliant I, I, I love my life's since going into menopause because I have looked at I've just done small things which I never did when I was younger people don't look after themselves these days so Anise where are you in your menopause journey now as we as we speak I'm post-menopause years ago I've probably not had a period for um I think when I was on the injections I had a heavy bleed so I had to go through because you I'm also on a drug called tamoxifen Right. For breast cancer, which I'm still on. And that can cause womb cancer. So I, I when I was um, going through my chemical menopause, I had a very heavy bleed when I was about 42 or 43. And I went and had all the investigations that many women will recognize, you know, the hysteroscopy, the examination internally to make sure that there wasn't a cancer there. And it was it was 
horrifically torrential and then I didn't have anything since then <laughs> it was just that was it that was the end of me my sort of menopause so my symptoms I did get hot flushes I did when I was in clinic I would feel the, the bead of sweat rolling down somewhere in on a hot summer's day and I'd be going oh there you go um and I I we talked about mindfulness. I observed no one else noticed. I, I could feel it, but none of the patients seemed to notice at all. No one, no one, and you think everyone's noticing it, and that makes you feel worse. And I was there, and I was thinking it's really interesting because I'd be asking, and they'd be going, "I'm sweating." I'm, swe-. and I'd be thinking, "Oh, you've not obviously noticed that I'm sweating too." <laughs> That's great. So it didn't bother me then. I was like, "Oh well, no one really notices." Whereas I think if you're there and you think everyone's looking at you, so those sorts of things helped me really to actually because of what I was doing yeah so yeah no but they, they all disappeared and and now I can't really the only thing that I get now and I've had it all my life so I can't really blame it on menopause is I'm not a great sleeper so that's always my challenge trying to make sure my sleep is 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 good and it doesn't help having teenage kids or I've got a son who's 20 who's fine actually but they tend to stay up late and so, and they want to chat late in the evening. I'm like, no, I need to calm myself down now. Not I mean, chat. isn't that? I'm just thinking. Twenty years ago, you know. So my my neighbour upstairs, he's thirty to my fifty one, and yes. uh, you know, we're on a complete reverse um, circadian oh. rhythm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> completely. And it's like, yeah, I was you twenty years ago. You know, I didn't. You know, he's in lockdown. He's working from home. He's staying up till four o'clock watching TV. And kind of as I get up at six, I know that he's kind of coming to bed. So it's it's working quite well. But it is definitely um, the sleep thing with age. It's like it changes so drastically, doesn't it? It really does. It does. I think, and you have to work much harder at it to to keep your sleep and and understand it and not try and over sleep too much or sleep too little to compensate. It's, it's quite a challenge. But but to be honest, I because I I use my my sleep guide that I I have in my chapter and and it works fine for me so, what are your yeah. top sleeping tips while we're on while we're on sleep well um the, the, it's there's, there's a lot so sleep rituals and sleep hygiene and sleep routine are sort of the th- my three buzzwords so ideally going to bed at a similar time every night it's not always possible in a busy life but if you can try and do that um because that helps with the circadian rhythm that you just mentioned, your body clock, which is really important. Um, getting rid of blue screen, you know, your, your phone or devices that have blue light because that delays your melatonin release and melatonin is what helps you sleep and gets you into a good sleep um, routine and, uh, uh, sorry, good sleep um, quality. Um, and um, sort of... the. the not having anything that's stimulating or stressful late at night. So ideally don't watch the news late at night. Don't be checking emails, even if you've got a blue filter. People are talking about blue filters on on, on their phones and devices. But if you're looking at stressful emails or stressful content on social media, it's going to stimulate you and that will stimulate cortisol yeah. release. And cortisol is your wake up hormone. And so many people do that. And I see many patients in my clinics who go to bed, can't sleep, wake up tired and wired. And it's because their cortisols are all imbalanced and and up and down at the wrong times. So that's very important. And then if you can relax for an hour before bed with the lights dimmed and just doing something quiet and calm, things like aromatherapy sort of scents and, you know, 
quiet music or something that's relaxing is all helpful. We can't all do that every single night, but reproducing a spa type environment Mm. is really relaxing. So if you can do that, that does help. I think what's so interesting about that is um, something that you've dotted all the way through the, the book, which I, again, I felt I thought was was brilliant, which your menopause now boxes, because, you know, that our, our mothers wouldn't have had blue light problems. They would have exactly. had other stresses, you know, their cortisol, their adrenals would have been pumping for other reasons, but they wouldn't have had a hundred or so channels to choose from of an evening, email, be able to read their emails in bed. I mean, we probably couldn't even do that. 10 years ago could we read our emails in bed so you know there is all that that you point out menopause now is so different and it's constantly changing yeah you know in five ten years time it's going to be you know people will be on vr in their bedroom you know that'll be the big you know there'll be all sorts of things that disrupting our sleep and it's that one thing why are we as humans disrupting our sleep so much by the tech you know that's the massive impact isn't it and and, you know addressing those things isn't just relevant for a woman going through perimenopause or menopause it's actually really important for the whole of our society everybody to do that for well-being so uh, that's why uh, you know getting younger women to read my book or you know to um, empower themselves about what to do is just so important because it'll help them with what they where they are now as well in terms of sleep quality and, and everything so yeah it's it's um the modern world is not our friend in terms of you know body clocks stress and the environment and then menopause comes along which is a hormone imbalance and then you just you know your hormones are all over the place but i i see a lot of problems related to modern world changes and 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 stress and cortisol in people of all all ages from adulthood I don't see children but um from from the age of 16 onwards major problems in teenagers as well so so most important of the, most of the things that we suffer from now and, and correct me if I'm wrong but my understanding is that most of the things that we suffer from now autoimmune um diseases we're not sort we're not sort of dying of sort of uh, bread and butter gritty diseases anymore what what what's impacting us is autoimmune which is triggered mainly by stress and love <clears throat> absolutely stress can trigger pretty much every disease known to man um too much stress is bad and it can trigger cancer even cancer and yeah, things like that longer term phone at night in bed <clears throat> doing you so much damage that we're, we're not aware of mm. you know by triggering that stress constantly triggering that stress response and and you can work you can check it's not you know, the end, because we can, we can modify, you don't have to make huge, you don't have to become some sort of, you know, um, shut down, isolated person, you can, yeah, you can, you can carry on and do these things. It's just about, I always use the word term boxing clever. It's, it's about knowing, don't, don't be doing stressful things late at night. Don't, you know, try and balance your stress by doing exercise and movement and have some downtime and relaxation in your day. It, it doesn't sound like it's very important, but it is so important in today's world. I see a lot of problems with people who do loads of exercise and, you know, they, they try and have a healthy diet. They've got a good sleep routine and they still feel awful, exhausted. And that can sometimes be they're doing everything except having downtime. So going back to my house of menopause, they've got, you know, 15 windows in their house and they've got 12 windows shut. But one of the big windows that's left open is that they don't get enough downtime rest or relaxation and I'm not doing that lying down for an hour in the day five minutes of of downtime 
um, sort of everyday mindfulness I talk about in, in the book can make a huge difference. But some people don't get that at all. No, and, and I don't think that they understand that that comes under self-care. I think for a lot of women, they think self-care <laughs> is a bubble bath or meditation or going away with the girls for the weekend. That's not self-care. Self-care is five minutes of just slowing down. It's it's looking at what you're eating. It's looking, are you moving? It's looking at your relationships. That that self-care it needs to be rebranded. There's so much PR to do in East, isn't there? But you know, there self-care is. needs to be rebranded. It's not about a bath bomb and a candle. It's and it's not about being selfish. I think that's the thing. People go, oh, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about self-care because that's being selfish. It's not. Actually, you can do more for all those around you mm. if you keep yourself well. And I see women who are trying to do everything for everyone. And then and then they go, and then now, you know, I'm so ill and my kids, I can't do the homeschooling or, you know, different things. And it's because they can't because they're not looking after themselves. And if they looked after themselves... If you look after yourself, you can look after everyone around you. So, I mean, that's the it, analogy of the oxygen mask, isn't it, on an aeroplane? It is. It, it, that's an, a perfect one, really. Yeah, it is exactly that. that. And that's You're no scary. use to anyone if you run into the ground. Yeah. yeah. And they, you know, they say that on a flight. You yeah. know, put, you'll put your mask on first and then help everybody else. And it's like, you know, we should all have that on our mirrors in the morning, shouldn't we? We should. We should. <laughs> and least one question I want to ask you, why we've got a doctor in the house, and it's something that I get um, asked a lot and sort of DM'd on social media, is what are you say in your book that menopause symptoms are often at their worst during the period, the phase between perimenopause and postmenopause? Mm. So let's, for the listener, let's just clarify menopause, perimenopause, postmenopause, and the rough time spans and when things occur during, during those three phases. So the time spans are very difficult to give because every single woman is different. And I talk about that in my book, and that's why in the book I give a range of advice that you can tailor to your own needs. So perimenopause is when your ovaries are running out of eggs. They're starting to run out of eggs. And as they run out of eggs, they're not producing estrogen adequately as they would normally in in your younger years. You produce estrogen every month. It rises, it peaks on about day 14 of an average cycle, not that any woman is average. And then it starts to decline and it dips down very, very low just as your period starts when when your estrogen's at its lowest and you've had a peak in progesterone about a week before. So there's a very nice harmonious uh, hormone fluctuation through the monthly cycle in younger women. And in perimenopause, that harmony starts to be lost and it starts to become erratic. And because the estrogen can sort of crash it can also surge. So women can get all sorts of symptoms related to crashes and surges of estrogen in perimenopause. It can honestly last a few weeks, a few days. So women don't get the symptoms at all to going on for years. And we think that many women are perimenopausal from around the age of 45. It's quite common. But of course, some women will go into a menopause much younger. 1% of women will Um, go into menopause under the age of 40 and one in a thousand women under the age of 30 for for different reasons so it's impossible to say look you're going to go into perimenopause when you're 45 but that's kind of when the majority will go in the 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 fluctuating symptoms with surges and crashes of estrogen will be things like feeling like your breasts are really hard and sore 
migraine is a common one that women get um, because when your estrogen is is after it's crashed the estrogen then surges too high it can be very high in perimenopause mm. um, and that can trigger migraines and I have quite a cohort of patients who have terrible problems with migraines because because you've never got a steady state in perimenopause because it's just all over the place um and then things like fluid retention weight fluctuations if you've got stress and your estrogen is peaking and troughing it can affect your mood it can cause anxiety palpitations lots of symptoms so that can go on for a fairly long time if you've got a really healthy lifestyle and if you're not stressed or if you're just lucky from your genes you may not get those symptoms menopause is is the term used to, to describe that you've had your last period so you don't really know you're in menopause until about a year later when you haven't had a period so you might be having irregular periods and then a couple and you're still perimenopausal and then nothing for a year so you're you're classed as being in you know menopause if you haven't had a, you know, if, if when your periods stop, and then if you haven't had a period for 12 months, they say you're postmenopausal. But you don't quite know because quite a lot of women will have start to have irregular periods and then they might have one or two a year for a couple of years. So you don't know you've had your last period until quite a long time after you've had it. Yeah. Um, so menopause so, starts before your periods stop. You know? Yeah you know, huge, and I'm all about cycle tracking. So sort of, you know, I want to be able to, I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to know when that day is, Elise, and then I'm going to have a, a menopause party a year later. So are you still having regular then? Are you, are you? Uh, not so regular. They're getting longer. No, no. Yes. Yeah. Lighter. But what I'm really noticing at the moment, um, sort of going back to your toolkit of all, so where the estrogen drops and comes down, you yeah. know, with your toolkit and the, the protocols that you mentioned in here, we can, try and level that out in perimenopause as much as possible so we don't you know we can aid those symptoms um and what i'm noticing in lockdown is i um i'm doing my ten thousand steps a day uh and i'm doing my hours yoga a day but i'm not um i can feel i've got estrogen dominance i can feel the anger i'm very angry um i'm i'm het up i'm really really het up and that's something that's new to me. And I'm putting that down to the fact that I am not processing my estrogen like I would in normal day to day life, rushing around, doing my day job. You know, the yoga I'd normally do, you know, in a group of people, we build a sweat. You know, I'm not so I'm just not detoxifying and getting rid of that estrogen. And I think that's a really um a really common thing. And a lot of women that are just think, I'm really angry, I'm really stressed, I'm really anxious. Of course you are we're in a yeah. pandemic yeah your hormones are also really impacting how you're feeling absolutely so with the estrogen dominance you may have estrogen dominance but you but you but you'll still be having yeah. the it, rather than a nice smooth change every month oh, yeah you're getting these peaks and troughs which makes the the anger and the irritability much worse when you're getting those move you know the, the, the moving the sharp jerky movements of your hormones um and it's absolutely true that the pandemic has been, I mean, it's been tough for everybody because the added effect of your stress hormones interacts with your other hormones. So the human body is complex. And I, I talk about that in my book. I say it's not like this plus this equals this. The human body, every single system is interacting with every other system. And your stress hormones will be impacting on your female you know, hormones 
And for every woman, her set of circumstances and her lifestyle will mean that that interaction is fairly unique. So some women will never feel irritable. Most women feel irritable, especially in the pandemic. I would say most people on the planet feel a bit more irritable than normal because we're just out of our normal routines. We don't have any routine. Even people who say, well, my life's easier because I'm working from home and I'm not having to commute. But you're not in your normal routine and your body's going, what, what, what's going on? So, but yeah, the, the, the irritability is awful. And with that, those fluctuations in hormones, doing stress management, you know, the, the downtime, the self-care and the exercise do all help to, to try and rebalance those hormones. But it, it is different for everybody. Some people need a lot more exercise than they think. Mm. So I, I see I, some... I, I've noticed I really do need, I'm like, a, you know, I'm like an, a dog. You need, to, you need to take me for a good run every day. Well, that's it. And if you think about dogs, they're all different. Some of them need 10 miles a day. Some of them can just go around the block and be fine. And I think we, I'm not comparing this to dogs, but we, but we are all different. And I do, I feel the same. I need to do quite a lot to, to feel good. I need to do quite a lot of exercise. We do think that most people need a minimum of 10,000 steps a day, but I actually feel like I need more than that. So I, if, if I if I keep, I can't get 20,000 steps many days because it's not time, but oh, it's no. with work. But but if I can get that, I always feel so much better. So we, we are all different. So it's finding what's right for you. Some people might say, there's no way I need more than 10,000 steps. And, you know, if that's if that's what works for you, then that's fine. But but I think burning off that excess cortisol is always good for your other hormones. Yeah, and that especially, so that segues us into, you know, um, menopause, your chapter on uh, well, weight management and stress or both. Again, that's the link that a lot of women don't <coughs> make. That, you know, that, as Marion Glenville says, it, that fat around the middle, that, laid down by cortisol and estrogen is so much linked to our stressful lives so it all you know as you talked about having all those windows open it's about slowly slowly going around and shutting all those windows and looking if you want to lose weight and you're not losing weight you know you're are you starving yourself are you doing too much aerobic exercise two really stressful things that are gonna make you pile on weight yeah 100%. 100%. Yeah. So uh, I see a lot of women who come to see me all, of all ages who say, I'm doing loads of exercise. I'm hardly eating anything. My Fitbit or my Apple Watch says I should be eating an extra thousand calories to me even maintain weight and I'm gaining weight and it doesn't add up. And that is metabolism. <laughs> and that's that's my my world, my job. So I understand it. But People, if your metabolism is being suppressed by stress and cortisol, if, if you've got lots of stress hormones, it, it clings on to calories. The cortisol blocks burning of fat. So it, it, the, sometimes the more exercise you do, if you do too much and it's very stress, high intensity, so it's stressing your body, your body clings harder onto those calories and you will also crave carbs because your body, it's an instinctive protective me- mechanism gone wrong. Your body thinks, there's loads of stress here. Starvation's coming because that's what our ancestors who, you know, we are our ancestors through our genes. That's what they survived. When there was stress, there was starvation. In our world, there isn't. So, you know, it's so much harder. And and nowadays, the, the whole putting weight on your middle, 
carrying the excess weight is worse than any previous generation. And I know that, and I absolutely say in my book that the food industry has got a role in that and the way we eat, but it's also the stress that we're experiencing in in midlife, for sure. It's it's got a big role to play. I loved loved the section on uh, menopause metabolism um, because obviously as we age, our metabolism um, slows down. But I loved the stat about, I mean, as we know about hidden sugars in food, so like low fat options of food, I mean, they just pile them on with, you might be losing the fat, but they're piling the flavour in with sugar. And it was one teaspoon of sugar is four grams of... of, um, One teaspoon has four grams. One teaspoon of of sugar has four grams. So the way when you're looking at food packaging, something this contains 16 grams of sugar. Don't eat you wouldn't know you wouldn't know and that but you and you and they put it into tiny small prints so even things like I think I mentioned in my book things like um natural yogurts they can be marketed yeah. to look really healthy because they say high in calcium high in vitamin d so you think gosh it's going to be really good for me in menopause and if you look at the small print some of them have 16 grams of sugar you're and you think you're eating something healthy yeah. and you're just pouring sugar into your bloodstream which because of your metabolism and especially if you're stressed, just goes straight into your fat stores. It's a one-way ticket and it gets locked away. And once it's locked away, you have to do so much more to release it because your metabolism is favoring fat storing rather than release. And people think if they eat sugar, you know, why why do you gain fat? Well, we, we're very efficient in converting sugar to fat in our bodies. It just goes straight into the fat stores. So, um understanding all of that yeah could you, you again I'm, I, I'm not a big fan of extremes understanding those things can allow you to make small changes which make all the difference and if you can do that before you've piled the weight on as the menopause is sort of hit hard then you won't put the weight on and again that's where I was I, I, I it's not easy to, to maintain a weight and I write in my book about how a lot of my patients say to me, well, it's easy for you to say because you're little and thin. Well, it's not easy for me. <laughs> and and I talk about my my mum has always had a weight problem since she stopped smoking. And my dad had a, was from India and had a very, very big tummy um, and gained weight right on his middle, which is the worst place to gain weight, actually, for risk of diseases and uh, long-term diseases. So uh, my genes would indicate that I would definitely gain weight in menopause but I work really really hard at everything I I use my my weight management book (laughs) chapter in my book you know I use that those all of those I practice what I preach I apply everything that I say in my book to to what I do myself and I'm also very acknowledging that we're not perfect and I'm not perfect no one can be perfect all the time it just doesn't exist if they say they are it's fake news because (laughs) we all crave carbs sometimes and we all like something we you know guilty pleasures whether it be chocolate or wine or both or you know whatever so um but yeah I think it's about being mindful about your food and and being aware of 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 all of those tricks that you can do well and I I think you know chocolate and wine we all know chocolate wine and biscuits contain it's it's like you say it's the things that are marketed especially I think to women yeah. Or, you know, weight loss, healthier lifestyle that contain the hidden sugars. And that's, you know, that's where the education needs to be. It's like really, really look on the back. And if, you know, one teaspoon is four grams, mm. make that your go-to. And next time you look at a low-fat option or something that you think is healthy, just have a look at the sugar. Because the sugar will then 
impact your hormones. It will then impact your sleep. You know, if you're having what you think is a healthy snack at bedtime and a low fat yogurt, that could keep you up all night. Yeah, yeah, and and so it, it, it is. It's also important that we are allowed the odd guilty pleasure. You know, I'm not saying never have them, but if you do have something that you really like, like you want a glass of wine on a Friday or a couple of glasses over the weekend. Um, or however much it is, you need to be aware of how many calories that has. And you're going to have to take those calories off somewhere else in order for your weight to, to, to stay neutral. If you have all of your normal food and then you're having a bottle of wine three or four nights a week, you're going to gain weight because that wine contains so many calories in the form of sugar. And it's, but it's not about just, balancing. Not just about vanity, though, is that I mean, this is a really important message that how dangerous it can be to develop that to get overweight when we get to our 50s and 60s you know the the long-term health implications of of gaining weight you know it's it's not just about fitting into a pair of skinny jeans it's this is about preparing you for the rest of your your life and hence me saying achieving lifelong health because to achieve lifelong health you you need to manage your stress because stress is toxic to 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 long-term health um in many complex ways but yeah, I mean, I, I write in my weight management chapter with each rise in your body mass index category, mm. you're increasing your subsequent risk of, of, of longer term diseases like high blood pressure and diabetes and heart disease. So it's, a, it's absolutely not about vanity. It's about your long term health. But the, the, the positive spin off is that you if you do manage to keep your weight under control, you feel more positive about yourself. None of us want to gain weight. And we, we all do at times, you know, you might have a load of stresses and you can't, you know, for whatever reason, you might have an injury, you might not be able to do exercise. And if we gain weight, you you, you do don't, you feel terrible, don't you? Don't, we, none of us like it really. There's very no. few women who never ever, they just go, oh, I never gain weight. There's very few women like that. Most women will have to be careful with what they they eat and so um it does help to, to get in control of that because you do feel better if you can get in the jeans and, and you can and wear not, your wardrobe and not beat yourself up if you if you fall I mean I comfy I had a very stressful day yesterday like my father's ill like your mother is and oh. I had a very stressful day yesterday and I went out to do my 10,000 steps and I stopped and I brought an ice cream I bought a massive great big you know, I live near the seas so I brought a great and I treat and but there's so much sugar, a dreadful night's tea because there was so much sugar in it but I ate it and I knew I was eating it. I knew I was eating it to dull the pain of what was happening that day. I was totally aware of it. And it's like, but it tastes good and it's making me feel better. And I'm out doing my exercise. And I've woken up today and I'm not beating myself up about it. It was like, you know, yesterday, that's what I needed. I needed a really big ice cream. Because- yeah. And um, we've all we've all done that. And you do. You you absolutely do. And I, I've been there as well. 100 percent And and that's a, a little bit about self-care as well. It's saying, look, you know. I've had all this going on and today is the day when I'm just going to go for that ice cream because I like them. I'm not going to do it every day, but today I need it. And, and, and then the next day you just go, well, I needed it. And, and that was that. And so it is, it's hard. It, it's because people's lives are so complex. Every, so many people, I mean, and I see people in clinic, I see lots and lots and lots of one-to-one patients and, and understand their individual circumstances and, you know, I don't think I ever see anyone or have ever seen anyone in a clinic who's gone, yeah, my life's really straightforward and nothing's ever happened to me. You know, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. People's lives are complicated. Today. Let's run a competition to find that person, Denise. <laughs> yeah. Well, if any, yeah, if anyone's listening, they need to, they need to get in touch and I'll interview them. They'll be a case. 
Anise, I mean, I could I could talk to you for hours. Um, I've got so many notes written down here. Um, I just, I really, really, really enjoyed your book. And I really, really enjoyed it because, as I said at the beginning, it is written from a place of lived experience and it is emotional without being emotional. You know, it's just real. It's just really real. It's really authentic. Having met you now and spoken to you, it, it resonates even more. Um, and I think for women my age and I think for women of a younger generation who are both trying to educate to embrace this stage and unavoidable stage of life that every woman will go through. I think you say a third, a third of women in the UK are currently perimenopausal. I think that's yeah peri to postmenopause yeah absolutely 13 million women there's a lot of women and many of them are suffering unnecessarily which is what I don't want and, and the other thing about the book which I think if you've got brain fog and your life is busy you can think I haven't got time to read a book I just haven't got time but so I think the point to get is that you can read one bit of it and you don't have to read the whole thing sequentially and it is an easy read everyone says it's an easy read so it is an easy hopefully read. I can get people to <laughs> to have a look and have a peep and but it's not going to take you weeks or months to read it any and, and it's, you know it's it's you can it's bite-sized pieces and it is it's full of everything that you really really need to know and it's you know be prepared not scared of this transition because it is I don't want to say coming for you because that makes you feel like you want to run away from it, but it is, it is unavoidable, but it doesn't have to, you don't have to turn into a hot nest, you know, let's remove, as you say in your book, menopause is defined by its symptoms and, you know, most commonly by hot flushes, which not everybody will experience. There is so much more to it. Um, Just allow it and manage it and, and enjoy it if you can and read Anise's book, The Complete Guide to the Menopause by Dr. Anise Mukherjee on sale, I think, beginning of March. No, it's already out. It's, it's it was out. out. Yes, it's out. it was out actually on the 28th of January. So, yes, it's out there. It's number one bestseller on Amazon oh. for menopause. So, yes, at the moment. I don't know how long. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's something to shout about. Wow, yeah, so. I'm really pleased for you because it deserves to be there. I really am pleased for you. But the key is to get as many women to read it ideally to to get you know to to improve their symptoms or to to smooth out or prevent those symptoms coming we haven't talked about HRT either but there's I always obviously do talk about HRT in the book let's talk about HRT because I loved there's what actually we should talk about HRT because you know again it's a it's a very we can certainly talk about HRT let's slip slip that in quickly at the end for a few minutes yes I think one really important point that you make about HRT is that HRT is is not a cure-all you know, it's not going to make you younger. It's not going to take away your symptoms. HRT is a medication that needs to be supported mm-hmm. by your toolkit. Am yeah. I right? 100%. So the toolkit every woman should use because it that is what's going to help you to achieve well-being and health long term. Um, so that, that is very important. Not everyone can take HRT. If you... If you're really struggling with menopause symptoms and you don't have risk factors or you're happy to have a trial and you, and you can have a trial of HRT, you should go for it. And actually, if you're younger and you're struggling, it's better to use it if you're getting symptoms when you're younger, because it's very safe in that perimenopause, in women in their 40s, women through their 50s. The treatments we have now are much safer than they were 20 years ago. So 
in older women, it's about taking a view that you have to balance pros and cons and risks and benefits longer term, because some women gain weight, some women will get irregular bleeding, you know, that there's all sorts of different things that people get. Some women just love it and never want to come off it, or, you know, want to use it to protect their bones if they've got osteoporosis risk. But we're all different. So, but, so HRT can be very effective. But equally, I see many women who are on HRT, and they say, but I'm still feeling awful. And then when they when they get their toolkit in place, tailored by me helping them, that that is what makes the difference. So HRT, you shouldn't be thinking, oh, well, if I go into menopause, I'm just going to take HRT and I'm not going to do anything else because it won't work. You'll need, if you've got a great healthy lifestyle and then you add HRT, then, then it will work. But lots of lifestyle tweaks are, are you know, needed to, to maintain your health. Yeah, like any medication, it needs to be supported. Yeah. You know, so it's not a lot. The word I was looking for, I wrote it down, was panacea. It's not a panacea. It's not a panacea, exactly. It, and it it can be life changing for many women who are getting very severe symptoms if their uh, symptoms have crescendoed, you know, they've really peaked because it, it's all become overwhelming. But if you prevent that happening, then, you know, you may not need HRT, or if you do, you, it'll, be e- it'll be easier to get your well being smoothed out and back on track. when's the window Anise to take HRT is there is there an ideal window usually say long-term prevention of osteoporosis oh okay so I mean most women tend to take it for for somewhere between two and five years it's very very safe for two to five years pretty minimal in risk as long as you've had your risk assessment and and that you haven't got any contraindications um so that needs to be done with with your doctor but um as I said, it is very individual. So I've got patients who have osteoporosis and we want, and, and they felt so well on HRT and it's protecting their bones that they want to stay on it long-term. Um, it's a preference. No woman should be told they have to stop HRT if they feel it's giving them benefit. But it's about every woman being informed of her own individual risks and benefits at each individual stage in her life so what works for you when you're 48 might not work for you when you're 56 so it has to be reviewed long term you can't just say put a woman on HRT when she's 48 when she's had her first hot flush and leave her on it forever because that's what happened 20 30 years ago and that's what then we found all the problems because women were not being checked Mm. and then they were running into problems and with sometimes serious health issues in their 60s and 70s and uh, onwards. So um, it's about being monitored, being, you know, assessed on a regular basis to see what's best for you at each stage, because your symptoms will change through perimenopause to menopause as well. You, you, you might have terrible hot flushes at first, but they may settle down after a few months or a couple of years. And then you might have you know, no symptoms, or you might have different symptoms that need to be looked at again to make sure you're on the right treatment. And you can take um, HRT when you're still having your periods. You absolutely can, yes. In fact, that's probably better if you're getting symptoms to take it right. at that stage. And you can also take it if you are in because your symptoms can still continue postmenopause, can't they? So once yes. you've stopped having your period, even if you haven't had a period for a long period of time, and you're deemed to be postmenopause, you can still be symptomatic. And you can go on HRT at that point as well, yeah? yeah? Yes, you can start really at any point in that in that sort of journey or process. Um, some women do start 
a few years after their periods have stopped. We, we do think that in terms of heart disease risk, it's difficult to explain simply, but in younger women, estrogen is protective. But in women who are much older, who perhaps may already have a little bit of heart disease or blood vessel disease, it seems to be more corrosive and, and, and damaging. So estrogen has this, this sort of dichotomous or, or, or weird we call it u-shaped curve where it's beneficial in younger women but it can be problematic in older women so if you're if you're more than five years after your periods have stopped you'd have to be assessed really properly to see if hrt is right for you to make sure you haven't got an increased risk of it worsening heart disease and and those data are fairly robust we know that if somebody's got any heart disease and they start hrt it will accelerate but that that's usually in women usually over the age of 60, actually. So between 50 and 60, it's, it's about an individual assessment with your doctor. But in younger women, I think too few women are, are given it when they've got a lot of symptoms, they've got a lot going on in their life, and it's very safe under the age of 50. So in women who are perimenopausal, if, if they know about it, if they know what their symptoms are, because they read my book or they yeah. get themselves informed with your, you know, your blog and everything, then they can take action appropriately and, and prevent things from worsening and get on treatment when it's safe you know you've got a case study in here somebody called colette you know case study you know she's dismissed you know and you know offered antidepressants which is such a common thing that you know the doctor says you're still having periods you're not menopausal you don't need hrt and it's like it's so common it's up up to us to educate ourselves to you know well i want to educate doctors as well i want to improve healthcare delivery across the board in primary care that was another thing that i felt passionate about writing the book because i thought you know it might get the word out and 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 it can help educate gps i'm doing gp education but unless it's mandated gps don't have to, to to get themselves up to scratch with with menopause management and hrt and that's wrong every woman is going to go through menopause and you know if we if gps can help them prevent symptoms we'll have a much healthier you know set of 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 women over the next you know years going through the menopause and beyond rather than leaving them and giving them the wrong treatments antidepressants are over prescribed hrt is under prescribed and another area of your book that we that we didn't talk about because we would be here all day um, <laughs> is you know the medication that puts that put that encourages weight gain yeah you know, so again, so many women, if they're not being given the right medication, you know, at this time of life, and they're being put on so many different sort of medications, but actually they need lifestyle advice, and they need HRT advice, and they're piling on the weight, it could be because they're taking A, a medication they don't need, or B, they're not aware of a side effect of a medication they've been on long term. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <sighs> I see that Educate before you medicate. That's my... That's my little mantra. Um, and, I, I and I love that because that comes across in this book so well, that take ownership, take responsibility, educate yourself and have a great, and, you know, enjoy your menopause and enjoy your life post-menopause. Anise, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for all it's given to me. I'm going to say thank you on behalf of everyone who reads it because they're going to get something from it too. Um, and I look forward to seeing what's coming next. And thank you for educating GPs because they need it. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. It's been lovely talking to you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Vicky Bristow Communications for producing this series. 
You can find out more about me and my work at www.themerrymenopause.com or follow me on Instagram at themerrymenopause. If you like what you hear, please leave a review and subscribe. It will really help other people to find me. 